mob bunch wherever they're at. <laughs> Just to wherever that bunch or that kind is at. These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou were cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither... neither cold or hot I will spew thee out of my mouth because thou sayest I am rich and increase with goods and have need of nothing knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, thank God he still loved them, if you're here and you're laid a sin, God still loves you. But he's got a message for you today. Praise God. Hallelujah. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous therefore and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear. What the Spirit saith unto the churches. Could we just love him together? Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God. God, we love you today. you'll help us preach a while, you can be seated. The book of Revelation has some 300 symbolic references. A symbol is defined as being figures of thought in which objects are used to convey spiritual truth to the human mind in which there could not be found suitable ways to express it just in words. So God uses symbols 
mountain speaks of kingdoms, animals sometimes empire. You find that in the book of Daniel. A woman of a false religious system, horses, military might, military conquest, dragging the devil. Sun clothed woman represents Israel. The man child, 144,000. Praise God. Everyone said, Praise the Lord. The book of Revelation is a book of seven sevens. It has seven churches. It has seven seals. It has seven trumpets. It has seven vials. It has seven personages. It has seven dooms. It has seven new things. Praise God. It's a cycle of seven sevens. Uh, the book of Revelation completes what the book of Daniel commences. We would be at a great loss if God had not given to us the book of Revelation. But as we have already stated, God never starts anything that he does not finish. And so the book of Revelation completes what the book of Daniel commences. You will notice that God tells Daniel when Daniel says, I don't know. And I do not understand God told the prophet to go his way. For the words were closed up and sealed to the time of the end. But in the revelation, God told John to seal not up. The prophecies, the sayings of the prophecy of this book for the time is at hand. They would be in successive fulfillment. I'll probably call some theology, but uh, the Seventh-day Adventist folks are just mixed up. <laughs> I want to tell you this morning, the book of Revelation just reads one way, and that's forward. The book of Revelation takes us from the time of John to the end. It's the only book of the Bible that's got a key to its interpretation. Revelation 1 and 19, write the things thou hast seen, past tense, the things which are present tense, and things which shall be hereafter, future tense. In chapter 1, he writes the vision of the glorified Christ. John had saw Calvary, had saw Pentecost, he saw the ascension, and then he saw the vision of the glorified Christ. Revelation chapter 2 and 3, the present things, the church age. And beginning with chapter 4, verse 1, after this, a door opened in heaven and a voice saying, Come up hither. I'll show thee things which must be when hereafter. Thumb through your Bible when you get home and you'll find practically every chapter. And I saw, and I saw, and I saw, and after this, and I saw. Until he gets over and says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Praise God. Hallelujah. The book of Revelation is largely an expansion 
of the 70th week of Daniel, the most important time prophecy given in the Bible. Praise God. Daniel was a prophet. He was a student of prophecy. He read in the words of Jeremiah that it would be 70 years of Babylonian captivity. Daniel knows the times about it. So he gives himself to prayer and fasting. Finally, the angel Gabriel came, told Daniel this great prophecy. There would be 70 weeks determined upon his people. It would be in division of seven, of 60 and two, and then one. Jerusalem was rebuilt in troublesome time, and the Messiah would be cut off. Pointing to Calvary, it hits it right on the nose. But he has not put an end to sin yet. He's not put the devil out of business. He's not brought in everlasting righteousness. He's not anointed the millennial temple. There's some things that he said would happen in that time that has not yet happened. The book of Revelation is an expansion of that last seven-year period in which God's going to put the devil out of business. Sandwiched between the 69th week and the 70th week is the church age that God has gone to the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And to this agree all the words of the prophet. And after this, after this will I return and will build again the tabernacle of David. Praise God. Hallelujah. Oh, thank God. Aren't you glad you know the truth? We may not be the most educated folks, but we're the most enlightened folks, saints. We know right where we're at in Bible prophecy. Praise God. The times of the Gentiles begin with Nebuchadnezzar. They end with the Antichrist. What Nebuchadnezzar did at the commencement typifies, adumbrates, and foreshadows what the Antichrist will do at the end of it. To, to unify all the factions of Babylon, I never can easily come up with an idea of a one religion. Deified himself and set up an image. It's in your Bible. Praise God. What Nebuchadnezzar did was a type and a shadow of what the man of sin will do at the end of it. Praise God. Revelation chapter 4 and 5 is a heavenly scene. And then chapter 6, the events turn back earthward. Here comes a mysterious fellow out riding on a white horse. It's the rise of the Antichrist as he begins his ride to world conquest. World dominion, world supremacy. It takes him three and a half years to get into the zenith of his power. Praise God. Hallelujah. 
Praise God. Let me tell you this morning, saints, the stage of the world is being set for that fellow to come. This God is dead theology of this sin, this immorality, this violence, this crime, of this rebellion, this disobedience, this false doctrine. Uh, every way you look the world is ripe for the rise of a man of sin. You better love the truth. I'm going to get to my lesson after a while. You better be listening to what the Spirit has got to say to the church. My God, let's get the cobwebs out of our minds. Let's get the deadness out of our ears and the grossness of our hearts. Hallelujah. Take him three and a half years. The book of Revelation is large in expansion. You find the 1260 days. You find the 40 and two months. You find the middle of the week. Praise God. Now, I may cross your theology. I personally believe. Everyone said, Brother Munchie personally believes. One more time. I personally believe the system is coming in three stages. I believe we're right on the doorstep of the first one. I believe the change of the monetary, the economic system is the first. It'll set the stage to change the political structure and the final step will change the religious structure. I'm telling you church, you better get the cobwebs out of your mind of this church is about to go home. Don't you kid yourself, honey, this country's not only bankrupt, it's floating in debt. About every president that runs is going to balance the budget. It staggers your mind, it staggers my mind that this country is going in debt, red ink, $500 million a day. Praise God. You can't sell lemonade in the, front of the shade of a tree and say in business if you don't take in more uh, than, uh, than what you spend. Praise God. Don't get your affection set on this world. This thing may cave in. Set not your affections upon things of the earth, but set your affections upon things in heaven. Jesus said, don't lay up treasures here. Praise God. The banks are going broke about every week. Some bank is insolvent or some bank goes under. Oh, this thing is shaky. You may not agree, but I believe if the economy falls in, this country will witness a revolution. The seeds of revolution and anarchy are already in the streets of America.
Hallelujah. What are you getting at? We're getting ready to get out of here. That's what I'm getting at. the stock just went up. I don't know what's going on in Wall Street, but I know what's going on down in my soul today. I'll get to it after a while. Oh, God was so good to give us a revelation committed to human language. The world wouldn't know it. They'd not find it, but God would have some apostolics that would dig it out. Praise God. Oh, we hear it preached different ways. Praise God, and I guess it's good and it'll preach. But those parabolic mentionings of the fig tree are all symbolic and in connection with Israel. When he said, these three years have I been coming to this tree and finding no fruit, what was he talking about? Israel was a barren, fruitless nation. That's what he was talking about. The fig tree symbolized her national, her as a nation, her national life. Praise God. When he makes his triumphant enter into Jerusalem, cleanses the temple the second time, or goes out of the city and curses. What did the cursed fig tree symbolize? She would become a cursed nation. A barren nation, a fruitless nation would become a cursed nation. But in Matthew 24, they're asking, what's the sign of you coming? What's the parousia? What's the rapture sign? And the end of the age. And it says, now a parable of the fig tree. That old barren tree that became a cursed tree is going to be a restored tree. Praise God. And the generation that sees the resuscitation of Israel is the generation that will not pass until all be fulfilled. This morning, church, this is a rapture generation. Hallelujah! This is the rapture generation. It's no time to be lukewarm now. It's no time to be cold now. It's no time to be discouraged now. Hallelujah! It's no time to be slow now. It's no time to be dragging our feet now. time to be hearing what the Spirit has got to say to the church. Is this all right? Hallelujah. God doesn't want us ignorant. He wanted us to know. He told Daniel, no one understand. God wants us to know and understand. 
When he said, when you see the abomination that makes desolate spoken by David the prophet, let him that reads understand. Honey, that wasn't the Pope going to Rome. If that was when the Pope went to Rome, or when or the Pope went to Jerusalem, rather than Rome, he was already in Rome. But when the Pope went to Jerusalem, if that's when it was, they ought have started running. No, that's when this man of sin breaks his covenant in the middle of that week and goes to the temple and sits down. Hallelujah. Praise God. They got to get out of there. Hallelujah. God just he wants us to understand. Now let me give you something. Notice something that I noticed in Colossians chapter 4, verse 15, 16, and 17. Salute the brethren which are in Laodicea and Memphis and the church which is in his house. And when this epistle is read among you, cause it also to be read in the church of the Laodiceans. And that you might, that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea and say unto Archippus, take heed unto thy ministry which thou hast received of the Lord that thou fulfill it. And I read that to ask you this morning, could it be that the seeds of rot and degeneracy and decay that was in Laodicea been sown by a frivolous, undisciplined preacher. Praise God. He was exhorted. We're told that Archippus was the bishop of Laodicea. He was told to take heed to his ministry. Praise God. Laodicea has the grim distinction of the seven as being the only one of these seven churches that Christ could not find one good word to say. My, my. He couldn't say anything for it, its constituency, he had no words of praise or virtue or commendation for it. There was no spiritual qualities that he could commend them that was worth mentioning. No spiritual qualities, no spiritual ver verities that was worthy of recognition. I wonder this morning, could I be a Laodicean preacher? Praise God. God some way help, but let there be something in us. God, when you look at me, I hope you can find something. Not one thing could he find in them to say good about them. Not one quality, not one virtue, not one excellence, not one work, not one labor. No labor, no works, no patience, nothing that he could commend them for.
Laodicea is this present church age. It depicts the general condition of the church at the end of the church age, at the time of the rapture. If you'll read your Bible, you'll find it kind of all dovetails in. In the parable of the ten virgins, five wise and five foolish. Could it be that 50% of the apostolic professing church would not have enough Holy Ghost to be raptured? Hallelujah! Paul told Timothy, Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, reprove, exhort with all long-suffering doctrine, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust, their own appetites, their own desires, will they heap to themselves teachers and will turn away their ears from the truth and be turned into fables. The Laodicean church spirit is where the laity wants to rule. It's the church of the mob rule. It's the church of the domineering crowd. It's the board run. It's the committee run. I may cross your theology, but God doesn't run his church by boards. I may cross your thinking, but God doesn't run his church by committees. He don't run his church by a deacon board. God's system is a theocracy where God rules through the bishop. Praise God. Somebody told me over the years, I believe that God rules through the majority. Huh? If Moses had a call to church election at the Red Sea, if he'd a call for a vote of confidence, he'd have lost his job. He would have been overwhelmingly outvoted. He'd have got Joshua's vote and Caleb's vote and maybe a few others, but the mass would have voted him out. Hallelujah! When the lady is shaken, God will speak to the man of God and say, Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord your God. Hallelujah. It means the rule of the people. Lay us, lady, diocese, the bishops of authority where the people want to rule. Thank God we're getting away from that in the United Pentecostal Church. You'll always have lukewarmness. Praise God. Can I hear an amen on that? You'll never be perfected where you can vote the preacher in or out. You'll never get established as long as you operate on that kind of a basis. Hallelujah. Now, he says the problem here, they're lukewarm. Lukewarmness class is a neither. Everybody said neither. 
It's a neither condition. Thou art neither cold nor hot. Lukewarmness is a neither condition. Not cold, but not hot. Not frozen, but not boiling. Not an iceberg sitting on a pew, but not a blaze of fire either. Praise God. Lukewarmness is a neither condition where a person is not altogether out, but they're not altogether in. Hallelujah. It's a condition where a person is not an out-and-out sinner, but neither are they an out-and-out saint. It's a neither condition. They're not doing the worst for the devil, but neither are they doing their best for God. They've not abandoned the church altogether, but neither are they giving the church their best. It's a condition where a person is not sold out to sin and the devil, but neither are they sold out to God either. It's a condition where a person has not gone completely back to the world, but they have gone back on their commitments and dedication and consecration to God. Praise God. I wonder this morning, am I preaching to somebody that you're reneging on some of the vows and some of the dedication and some of the commitments and some of the consecration you made to God? Now we may get quiet, but we got some lukewarm preachers. I've seen two or three since I came here. Never got very many amens on that. Hallelujah. Your pastor can tell when you're lukewarm. Let me describe it like this. When you're lukewarm, you just have a tinny sound. An empty barrel doesn't sound like a full barrel. An empty barrel's got on just a tinnier sound than a full barrel. An empty vessel doesn't sound like a full vessel. Praise God. Hallelujah. I can tell when a man gets up when he's lukewarm in his soul, he tries to put on something, but there's nothing living in him. There's nothing powerful in him. He's not been in prayer. He's not been with God. He spent too much time at the racquetball club. He's been reading upon the last Pollock jokes. Hallelujah, hallelujah. He can tell you about the last Pollock joke, but he can't tell you much about God. I'll tell you what a lukewarm preacher sermon is like. If you go to a chain restaurant where the things is already pre-cooked at a commissary somewhere, every once in a while you'll get a hold of some chicken that's cold at the bone.
and you bite into that, and all of a sudden you got a little bit of ice down along the, along the bone. And you listen to a lukewarm preacher sermon, and you, you, it's just cold to the bone. <laughs> Hallelujah! God said he made his ministers like flames of fire. Hallelujah! Praise God! Let me tell you, church, lukewarmness contradicts everything we sing about, everything we shout about, everything we dance about, everything we run about, and everything we preach about. Lukewarmness contradicts everything you believe, everything you stand for, everything you hope for, everything you profess to be living for. It's a contradiction of everything you really believe. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And there's no need for any of us to be that way. We don't have to be that way. John said he'll baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. My God, I refuse to live on that shallow plane. I refuse to live in a carnal state. I refuse to be carnal-minded. I want to tell you, this is just too good to be dragging your feet in. My God, this is just too real to be cold in your soul. It's just too good to be straggling and dragging your feet. Hallelujah. Lukewarmness is an either condition. He's not denied the cross, but it's no longer vital to him. Lukewarmness is a condition where a person is no longer, he's, no, he's not totally forsook the house of God, but he's missing about half the services. We'll be there if we can make it. If, you know, you, when the, the husband gets home late and the kids got out of school, you know, Oh, but somebody that's got something living and something burning and something bubbling and something moving, and they're going to get there. I don't know how you feel, but I can eat later.
My God, give me a bologna sandwich, but give me power and give me joy and give me victory. Give me warm doors, but I gotta have fire when it comes to living for God. Oh, hallelujah! Some way God is firing this apostolic church up in these last days, getting us ready for the glory flight. Lukewarm people go to church, but they kind of like to mingle the shadows with the worldly crowd. Hallelujah! Praise God! I'm not going to linger out in the shadows while Brother Fuller's in there preaching. I may not get it to get up here, but I'm going to get somewhere, and it ain't going to be out yonder. Praise God. Hallelujah. There's two or three preachers that's backslid. Their ministries are gone. They'll never make it back, and probably will never make heaven. But I'd see them stand back at a camp meeting or a convention somewhere and didn't want to get in the service. When you don't want to draw near and get into the service, it tells you there's a backsliding, there's a deterioration, there's a decline, there's something wrong with you. I'm going to say it. If you don't like the kind of preaching that Brother Fuller's been giving us, you're probably already on your way to hell. Your soul don't love that. If you don't want that, if you don't hunger for that, if you don't desire that, you may be over the hill. condition where a person is not characterized by utter indifference but neither is he characterized by a burning zeal lukewarm folks are ever characterized by half-heartedness by mediocrity by little zeal by little thrill by little joy by little blessing, by little prayer, by little burden. One of the things about lukewarm people, they don't have strong feelings. (laughs) 
One thing about David, he made his mistakes, but half-heartedness was never one of them. With my whole heart will I seek after him. Hallelujah! God wants somebody that gets thrilled. He wants somebody that gets excited. How does it work? The church is going through a storm. A bunch of folks just backslide, moving off. That old lukewarm hypocrite, well, looks like the church is going down. But that good old saint of God with fire in the soul and love in the heart will find some place to pray and get a hold of God. God I'm going to tell you it, it ain't going to be on those that come in late and plop down on the back seat and get up and leave early it's going to be on those that come early and find a place to pray and get a hold of God at Mars Hill, the whole city given to idolatry, his spirit was stirred. Jesus, when he saw the multitude, the Bible said he was moved with compassion. I first began to get calls to preach out of the local church. Brother Price was one of the first that invited me. And Brother Price had a man that worked in his church that worked at Imola, a mental institution. And Brother Clampett got a, an opportunity to take us in, kind of show us around. I walked through that place and with Brother Price driving across the grounds. They worked in the yards and the flower beds, those that was in pretty good shape. But some of the others that was in padded sails. When I saw that condition, there was something that was moved in me. God wants somebody that sees a lost world that gets moved. Hallelujah! I've known some little shallow-minded folks would cry because a dog died, but didn't care that a world was going to hell. Just don't have any strong feelings. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God. 
Lukewarm folks don't have any deep devotion. They don't have any deep commitment. They'll read novels. I got a minister friend that lost out. He thought he knew all about the Word of God. He went to read and saying, Great, shoot him ups. I'll tell you, God knows it's right. I've never lost an appetite or a fascination for this book. Oh, hallelujah. It's a lamp to my feet. It's a light to my pathway. It's my sword. It's my shield. My God and this church as my mother, it mothered me. It's nurtured me. It's fed me. My God, and you come here and don't have any feeling? Look warm, no real relish. Sit back and clip fingernails. Oh, I've known how that happened. Praise God. Occupy their minds. Something else. Praise God. A lukewarm person is close enough to the fire to feel the warmth of it, but not close enough to appreciate it. They're, they're kind of on the fringes, kind of on the outskirts of it. Uh, they're, they're, they're war boys moving tonight, but they ain't getting in with it. They sure had a good time. They sure got with it. Hallelujah. God's not interested in this apostolic church, a bunch of spectators. God wants us participators. Somebody said there's three kinds of people that comes to our churches. They're those that don't know what's happening. There are those that know something's happening, and then there's those that's making it happen. <laughs> I know my heart today, I want to be among that number that's helping bring it down. The lukewarm person is so out of touch with God, so far from the mainstream of the church's life and power and blessing, that he can't really appreciate the, the benefits. He doesn't really understand the benefits that's his. He don't understand the worth of a good pastor. He don't understand the worth of a good Bible study. He don't understand the value of place where there's friendship and fellowship and love and protection and security and warmth from a lost world. Praise God. He 
He don't really love it. He don't really appreciate it. He just drags his feet and lives on the outskirts of it. Praise God. I'm going to tell you that those that's got fire loves the church. Hallelujah. Folks that pick and criticize and fault and run the pastor and the saints down are lukewarm. Hallelujah. Praise God. He says some things about this church. Thou sayest that you're rich. You're enriched, enriched with goods. Let me tell you, see, this last period of the church will be a time of materialistic. Don't, don't, don't just decide your spiritual level by how much money you got. Hallelujah. Praise God. In their own estimate, they was doing all right. We don't have need of anything. They had a false estimate of themselves. You say that you're rich and increased with goods, but you, you don't really know. Lukewarmness has a way of blinding us to our real self. It has a way of blinding us to our real condition. Laodicea's greatest peril was she was unaware of her peril. And her greatest need was a sense of need. Now, don't you back off. Praise God. He says, you're wretched. This word wretched comes from the Greek word teleporus, which means you endure toil and suffering hardship as the most abject slave. You don't want to suffer. You don't want to sacrifice. You don't want to carry a burden. You don't want to be under a load. You don't want to tuck it out. You don't want to go through anything. Here we go. Let me tell you, young preacher, don't be afraid of challenge. Don't wait around till somebody dies and hope something will open up that you'll get something where somebody's already done the spading and already done the sacrificing and already done the work and it just set up and you move in. Let's back up a little bit, get you a soapbox, and get out there and make it happen. 
place, God. Take that little old closed down place and let God develop you while you develop it. Praise God. Hallelujah. You're one of those that wants to go around a little slick sharp automobile and suede shoes and spit shine and little fancy suits and you don't want to suffer and sacrifice. You'll never have a ministry that amounts to anything. That's lukewarm. Somebody said, never have we had so much and appreciated it less. Let me tell you, apostolic church, one of the things that caused Israel to die in the wilderness was they murmured. They murmured. Hallelujah, they murmured. Don't give yourself ulcers and have a nervous breakdown and cause your husband to break down and have to work three jobs and let God give you some Holy Ghost contentment. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Lukewarm folks are not going to be happy. They're not going to be contented. They're going to want more and more and more and more. but not really have what they really need. Praise God. Oh, I'm going through the hardest trial. You ought to thank God for it. Brother Terry said years ago, said don't pray all your troubles away. Go through some of them. Take you through some fiery furnaces. Uh, let God take you through some lion's dens. Let God take you through some storms. I want to tell you there are some things you do not learn in walking with God. There are some things you do not learn. You never learn how to have a devotion. You never learn how to have dedication. You never learn how to have a prayer life. You never learn how to have compassion. You never learn how to love. You never learn how to have a burden. It has to be made in you. He didn't say, follow me and I'll show you how. He said, follow me and I'll make you. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I'm going to tell you, you lukewarm, he's not going to come down and baptize you with a baptism of patience. He's going to take you and lead you through this trial, that storm, that burden. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, you may learn how to work on a car. You may learn how to overhaul a washing machine. You may learn how to work on refrigeration. You may learn how to build houses.
but you don't learn how to have compassion. It has to be born in you. It has to be made in you. Just has to be. Oh, hallelujah. Praise God. Am I preaching to somebody you want to backside every time you hit a snag? Everything, every time it goes a little bit hard, I think I'll quit the church. I don't think, Brother Pastor, I'll be back. It's kind of tough. You know how it's going. I've already said two or three times, but God's not interested in a bunch of limp-wristed, weak-kneed willies. Hallelujah! One of the characteristics was they were wretched. They didn't want to suffer. Some of the most valuable experiences of your life will be trials. Most valuable experiences of your life will be trials and that God brought you through. No wonder that God said, don't despise the day of small things. Young preacher, that's going to prepare you for the day of the bigger things. That's why Paul said, not a novice, lest he get lifted up with pride, his head swell. Bless God, that's my church and they're my saints. And Fall into the snare and the condemnation of the devil. So God's way is get out there and get some experience. Put you in a garage or a storefront somewhere till you learn something. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Wretched. Just don't want to sacrifice. Just don't want to suffer. Just don't want to bear a burden. Praise God. Maybe you other preachers don't, but I know when they've been fighting the kind of thing that we've been fighting five or six months. But when you've got some key folks that know the score, they'll turn on. They'll get with you. That old hypocrite and that reprobate back there that's kind of borderline whether they're going to go or stay. They're sitting on you. <laughs> Hallelujah! Oh, it's good to have some of those. They know the score. They'll get behind you. They'll get in the service. They'll help carry the load. Song service might be a little bit tight. And it just might be just not quite just like we'd like it to be, but those good old saints that's fired up, they'll know the score. They'll get up and rebuke that devil, that binding spirit. It's the lukewarm that sets back and don't get in. See, they don't care whether it goes or don't go. They don't care whether it happens or don't happen. 
They'll get mad and sideways and pull out and try to get everybody else to pull out they can. Don't you ever let yourself become the victim of somebody turning you and alienating you from your pastor. The person that comes to, to turn you away from your pastor is not your friend. They are lukewarm. They are backslid in heart. They are not right with God. They're not genuine apostolic. They are wrong. I'm putting in a few things here this morning. It's not my notes, but I got a whole lot of my notes. <laughs> Hallelujah. He says, You're miserable. This is from the Greek word, Elenius, which means pitiable. It's unhappy. Down the dumps. Got the blues. Better not expect anything out of me tonight because I ain't in the mood. I'm going to tell you right now that moody people are immature people. If you, you sort of shift from one mood to the next mood, you are not stable. You are not mature. You are not grown up. You do not have the stability. you got to have to walk with God. I got to reading in those psalms, he was at, Why art thou disquieted, O my soul? He asked himself some questions. Why art thou disquieted, O my soul? You better ask yourself why you're down the dumps. You better ask yourself why you got the blues. You better ask yourself why you're discouraged. You better ask yourself why you don't feel like going to church. You better ask yourself why you don't feel like praying. You better ask yourself why you don't feel like worshiping. You better ask yourself why you don't feel like getting the service. He asked himself, why art thou disquieted, O my soul? Why are you like that? He begins to say, I'll remember. God, you've been too good to me to be like this. Unhappy. Praise God. I'll tell you where the murmuring and the, the complaining and the griping that we get among us so much, it comes from lukewarm folks. 
I'll tell you where the belly aching comes among preachers. It's lukewarm preachers. That's where the belly ache. Uh, that's where the gripe. Lukewarm folks are backslid on the inside and they can't find anything around them to be happy and glad about. So they're unhappy. Praise God. If they were right with God, they'd be happy. If they were prayed through, they would be happy. Folks that come to church and go home and murmur about what was preached are lukewarm and cold. Are you sure? Great peace are they that love thy law and nothing shall offend them. It's lukewarm, folks, that go home offended. Nobody spoke to me. I know when Brother Westberg lifted his glasses, he was looking right at me. And I know when Muncie got red in the face, he was doing it right at me. Praise God! But some fired up, some prayed up, some filled up saint of God is going to say, lay it on the line. Praise God. lukewarmness he said you're poor from the Greek word patachis which means crouched cringing beggarly you're just spiritually you just you're just really in bad shape what he's saying is you don't have any spiritual riches We'll talk about them in a little while, about buying some gold. Hallelujah. Oh, Brother Elder, I'm glad for 30 some years I've been laid up something on the other side. Hallelujah. I'm not laid up much here, but I've been laid up something over yonder. I'm going to tell you what I've got on the inside of me. I wouldn't trade for this world. Blind. The Greek word to follow us, which means blind in ears, blind in might, mind and sight. Spiritual darkness. You, you just can't, you, you, you can't find your way. And naked from the Greek word gumos, which means unclad, defenseless, bare, undone. They were convinced of their wealth, but blind to their spiritual condition. And then he said, I counsel by gold. By gold.
Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, I believe it is, he mentioned, you know, about the wood, the hay, and the stubble. There's some stuff, it's just nothing but trash. Here's a worthy foundation, and somebody building something just out of wood, hay, and stubble. But there's some other folks that it's gold, silver, and precious stones. Praise God. Now, he's talking about spiritual wealth. He's talking about spiritual gold. He's not telling you to get a bunch of rings on your finger. <laughs> he's wanting you to get some of that heavenly gold. Praise God. Oh, every once in a while, you'll hear a pastor or a pastor's wife, somebody say, they are a jewel. They are as good as gold. They're sterling. <laughs> what is it? That saint of God's got qualities. That saint's got character. That saint's got principles. That saint's got integrity. Some reprobate, some hypocrite, some mealy mouth, some gossiper, some backbiter, cat turner against the church or turn him against the pastor. He's going to be faithful. He's going to live for God. He's going to hold up the hands of the pastor. He's going to help carry the load of the church. They're buying gold. church what an opportunity you've got wherever you go to church to give God a service that's just worth gold and silver precious stones hallelujah I've had a few that crossed my path and said there's not anything for us to do laziest people in the world is people that can't find nothing to do Can you find a lawn to mow? Can you find a, a rug to vacuum? Can you find some cleanness, uh, windows to clean? Uh, can you find a bus ministry? Can you find some tracks? It may be because you're not on the organ or you're not up front. There's, you're not finding nothing to do. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I've already mentioned Brother Price. When I first went there back in the 60s, I don't know, I hope Sister Nesbitt is still living, but there was this little old short, fat, white-headed lady, Sister Nesbitt's. Brother Nesbitt's had already passed on. But that family was one of the leading reasons that Brother and Sister Price went to Napa probably 30 years ago. And Sister Nesbitt's and Brother Nesbitt's, they, when they was in the tent, that little short, fat sister, no, she wasn't a Dottie Rambo. She wasn't a songwriter. She didn't conduct the choir. But she had that staunch, faithful stickability and be there in the tent when maybe there wasn't hardly nobody else. And then Brother Price showed me up above 
the hardware store when they were up the upper room. I guess they moved out of the tent was up in the upper room. And old fat sister Nesbitt would climb them stairs. I went back there to preach some years ago and I was looking over the crowd. Brother Price's church had really grown. Finally sitting back there I saw Sister Nesbitt and she testified. And after she testified, Brother Price got up and said, this is the most faithful woman in this church. That little woman helped a man, held his hands up, prayed and backed him and helped the church get on a foundation. Praise God, you don't have to be up front. You can be back there holding up the hands of the man of God and helping pray the power down and stand by somebody. Be gold. Be gold. Be gold. What was it Job said when he tried? When he struck me, I'll come forth as pure gold. Oh, we got so many of these folks. They don't understand it. I, I've even run across some preachers that they didn't think if they wasn't preaching, there wasn't nothing for them to do. Or if you needed a preacher, they'd be there. Now, I know when I'm preaching and I know when I'm fooling around. I run, I'm not talking about something I don't know anything about. I run across this. I've met this. Preacher, if you're here this morning and you're one of those kind that you can't find anything to do, why can't you find some doors to knock on? Why can't you get in the other place somebody through? Why can't you get behind the man of God and be worth something till your ministry develops? And it will never develop until you do. I'm going to tell you your ministry will never go where, anywhere until you start doing something where you are at. If you're not doing anything where you're at, you're not going to be doing something anywhere else either. I don't believe it. Go down on Skid Row, the bum that was down there yesterday's back down there today. He'll probably be back down there tomorrow. You go to the next fellowship meeting of the same one that was there, he'll probably be back there. He's wanting it to happen, but he don't want to make the sacrifice to make it happen. Consequently, just ain't going to happen. While I'm on it, it's one of the highest honors that God ever bestowed upon me was to let me start one church. I pastored it for 19 years. Went through three building programs. Raised my two sons. Noreen was about five weeks old when we started. He was born November the 29th. We opened up on the first Sunday of January, which I think was the 3rd. He was about five weeks old. We'd bring him in a car seat. He would sleep through it. 
be asleep when we got there, and be asleep when we got him home. Never knew he went to church. But he grew up. Praise God. Hallelujah. That first Sunday morning, I opened the door, stepped in, closed it, backed out, backed out and closed it. Next time I reached, I said, in the name of the Lord. Opened it in the name of the Lord. Praise God. Preached one family out that I thought was going to help me that first Sunday morning. Praise God. Had myself, had my wife, five-week-old baby. Oh, what I learned about God, I wouldn't trade the world for. Hallelujah. He gave Lee J. Muncie a Calvary there. He gave me a relish for the word there. He put me out on the backside of nowhere uh, to let me grow up. Let me get the cobwebs out of my mind. Hallelujah. Oh, I'm glad I accepted the challenge. Praise God. Uh, don't pass that little old closed up place. Why don't you accept the challenge and open in the name of Jesus? You get too many amens on that. And then he said, By white raiment, the shame of your nakedness do not appear. He said, Anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. What he is saying is, you need some spiritual raiment. You need some spiritual garments. It seems like at one of the camp meetings we came back and we talked about the robing of the saint. It just, our spiritual garments and our attitudes and the way we live all week long has a way of following us to church. You, you just don't fritter around and mess around and fool around and joke around and jest around and coffee around all week long. And as you step into the church, you lay aside the rags of frivolousness, the rags of laziness and indolence and slowfulness, and all of a sudden you put on the robes of spirituality. I'm sorry, honey, but it don't work that way. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I've had some folks, I'd feel backslid. I'd feel like I needed to repent and go to the altar. But I've seen them lay out of church for extended periods of time and come in and just look like they shadowed all over the place. <laughs> I'd feel under condemnation. I'd feel like I hadn't been faithful. I'd feel like I'd lost my integrity. Oh, get some spiritual garments. One place he spoke about being clothed with humility. Another one he spoke about garments of praise. He said the fine linen was the righteousness of the saints.
be zealous. <laughs> oh, I'm glad he told them that as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Now, I want you to notice something here. You preachers are aware of it, I know. But if you'll notice, at the beginning of the church age, he's in the midst. At the end of the church age, he's at the door. It's in your Bible. When John turned to see him, he saw him in the midst. At the end of it, he's left outside. He excluded himself from heaven because of love. Rejected of his own by hate. Left out on the outside of his church for lukewarmness. No, he's not talking to a sinner there. We'll preach that way if you want to preach it, preacher. But that ain't what he's talking about. He's talking about a church. He's talking about some lukewarm folks that's left him on the outside. That's left him on the outside. Oh, God. Let's bring him back inside. Am I preaching to someone this morning that he's been left out of your life? Bible's over on the shelf somewhere, and on your headboard you got a stack of novels. You got a stack of novels. I'm telling you this morning. This is just about over. What we're going to do for God, we're going to have to do quickly. I've got 30-some years. My God. This could well be the last camp meeting. We don't know the day, we don't know the hour, but he did tell us about the times and the seasons. If I was here this morning and I was causing anybody any kind of grievance, I will not be a troublemaker in a district. God hates that in a preacher the same as he hates a troublemaking saint in the church. Brother Price become my adopted pastor. The two men that I was under, one fell into moral sin, the other went and let a rain. Brother Price become our superintendent. I adopted him. I told him. He didn't tell me I couldn't. I never badmouthed him. I did not always agree. Praise God. There was a changing of the guard about two years ago. 
Lyndon Westberg became my pastor. Paul Price walked in today. I grabbed that great man. He's great. We need more of them. I never badmouthed him in California, and I'll not badmouth Brother Westberg in Kansas. And don't you badmouth your pastor and drag your feet in your church. Praise God! If you don't have enough salvation to build up the man of God and you don't have enough preacher principle to build up the other superintendent, you ain't got enough Holy Ghost to be in the rapture. And there's no use being a hypocrite and fooling yourself any longer. Let's go back to our churches. Hallelujah, that message last night, the power of one. Brother Elder, somebody from your church told me this morning he was going to go back and take his town. <laughs> Praise God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I want to be in that number when this Kansas district goes marching in. Oh, we're going to go marching in. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I said we're going to go marching in. There's a homecoming that belongs to this church. I want to be faithful to it. Brother Dudley, you want to come? Hallelujah, hallelujah. My God, praise the Lord. Praise God. Let's stand and worship the Lord today. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your word today, Lord. Thank you for your word today.